because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. It's awesome to welcome current Washington Wizards assistant coach Joseph Blair to the Basketball Podcast. Blair has a tremendous basketball resume, having played for over a decade in Europe and worked as an assistant coach in the NBA, college, and G League. His playing experience saw him play in the NBA EuroLeague and many other countries and leagues. His coaching experience has led him to three stops with Philadelphia, Minnesota, and Washington, and outside of the NBA, coaching in the G League and in college basketball with Arizona. Unique to Blair's resume is the fact that during the late 1990s, he also played for the Harlem Globetrotters. Coach Blair, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Definitely. Honored to talk to you. And, uh, you know, I haven't asked a coach yet, but what a unique opportunity, really, the pandemic uh, in a good way, I guess, which there weren't many good things that came from it. But uh, a lot of coaches got opportunities that they may not ever get. And that is the concept of you having coached your first NBA game as a head coach. How did that opportunity feel for you? Uh, Number one, it it was such a blessing. And it was interesting because I was out with COVID probably a month prior. So have I, had I not gotten COVID, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to coach the game. And I got my first win as an NBA head coach, which is just like uh, beyond my, um, beyond my ever thinking that it would happen, especially not this year. And it's interesting because you, as a, you know, everyone wants to be an NBA head coach. If you're into coaching, I think that that should be your goal. If not, you're, you're cutting yourself short. But when you imagine what it's going to be like your first time coaching your first NBA game, it was nothing of what I ever thought it was going to be or ever imagined nor could prepare for. Uh, that day was such an interesting day. Uh, we had already were down. Wes Unsell Jr. wasn't coaching. It was Pat Delaney's time to do it. And um, I just remember I had my cousin that came into town. I went, picked her up from the airport. and I was at home shaving my head, trying to get my bald head nice and shiny for the game that day. It was a three o'clock game as well. And it was about 930 in the morning. My phone rings. It's Pat Delaney telling me, hey, I tested positive. It's, it's on you now. <laughs> and um, you can imagine, number one, you when you first imagine being your first coaching experience, you think it's going to be a 7 p.m. game and you're going to be so prepared and you know what your ATOs are going to be. You know how your lineups are going to be. You know your substitution chart. Everything is going to be perfect. Well, I, I found it at 930 and we had a 12 o'clock walkthrough and the game was at three. So it was, uh, I, I scrambled as quickly as possible, but I will be honest with you, it was such a blessing. My experience, head coach with the G League, really prepared me for that opportunity of knowing exactly how did I prep going into those games when I was a G League head coach. Is the exact same preparation I did going into that game, and it really kept me calm and kept me cool and kept me prepared for when that opportunity came up. And it was also just an amazing experience for me. It was a team that I was just with the Sixers two years prior and such a, a coach I respect so much, Doc Rivers, the players I respect so much, you know, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, well, I was with those guys and just uh, those prolific players and to be able to come out, come away with my first win against such a strong team and such a, such a, a, a basically a future Hall of Fame coach as well. It was just such a blessing. But I tell you again, it is when you think about how uh, every guy can sit here and say, oh, when I'm a head coach, I can imagine my first game. I already know the suit I'm going to wear, everything. It did not go that way at all. And, uh, you know, having only a couple of hours to get your ATO situated compared to a month prior, knowing the game's coming. It was a, it was a great experience and such a blessing. But, boy, did it – oh, God God played a nice little, little funny on me, that's for sure. That was great. But you know what? Like, when you look at your resume and your playing career and your coaching career, you've been preparing for this your whole life in a lot of ways. And I think, again, I, I'm curious, all the unique experiences that you've had in basketball, I mean, that must have helped shape your philosophy and prepare you for those situations. For sure. I mean, you look at, I, I will say, like, I think my career, it's interesting because I have young people reach out to me all the time. And maybe if you're a young coach watching this, you're going to reach out to me at some point and say, I want to know how you did it so I can do it. Let me under, explain something. Everyone's road is different. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets you in a different way. And the past and the person you are will dictate the, the path you take and the journey you take. And it's always going to be that way. So I always, the best advice I can give anybody is just be your best version of you and let the, the you in you shine through. And if you do that, 
people pick up on that. And I like to believe that's what I've done. And, you know, my journey has been very different from uh, where my college is, like the way I can end up at University of Arizona to play and then being drafted uh, and then go, spending all my career overseas and just the people I've met and the places I've lived to really all fit into the person I am and the way I coach and the way I uh, interact with people. And it's just really taught me. And I think that's one of the biggest things in coaching. Obviously, you got to know your X's and O's. And you have to be understanding of how the game's evolving constantly, but the way you develop your relationships with your players and the people around you and just the love and respect that you, you show other people and is shown to you is what actually will make you a, 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 a good coach. Like it'll make you a productive coach. And, and really that's the way I found, I just, I remember I was telling Brian Richmond uh, on our coaching staff this the other day, like, I, I, the X's and O's, I mean, the, the wins and losses aren't where I find my victory. My victory is found in what I'm doing already. I've already won before the, the ball's even thrown up in the air because I love what I do so much. So I never let what I do define who I am. And I think that's why I've always carried that into my coaching career and my ability to relate to people from different paths, different walks of life, different countries even has just been such a blessing. And it's all comes through how I got to where I am now. Uh, great advice and great experiences you've had. And part of those experiences, we're playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. So let's just focus on this from a coaching perspective. What were some takeaways from that experience that helped you as a coach? You know, uh, I, I'm going to start as a player because it, it, I think they correlate very well. Um, you know, when I first played with the Harlem Globetrotters, it was during a time where I was really finding it difficult just enjoying the game. It was I got into this. Uh, and I think that we all get into this at some point, even in coaching or playing, you get in this hamster wheel of feeling this is a business, is a business, is a business. So you really just, you take it so seriously that you really forgot why you got into it in the first place. I got into basketball and loving basketball because I enjoyed it. I had fun doing it. I loved going to play pickup. I love I, a good, one of my best friends, Mike Huggins, when I was growing up, we used to, we used to name plays. GG was our give and go play. PR was our pick and roll play because we th we knew basketball better than everyone else. So we could call stuff out loud. No one figured out. And um, when I play with the Globe Charter, it's my first time you play where there's no no games in a way game. Like it's, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Every time everyone loves you. It's cheering for you. No matter where you're playing, you're the home team. Uh, and it was just redeveloped my love for the game because they also really highly encouraged us as players to go out and have fun out there. Do what you love, like joke with the, fan, the fans, talk with the people, joke with the other team. And by doing that, I really just understood, again, this goes back to what I said a while ago. It's like just relating to people and individuals and finding that commonality and the commonality for us as coaches with our players and coach to coach and player to player is we love this game. We love what we do. And the more we can enhance that with people around us and make sure they understand that, hey, I'm here because I love you and I love this. If I no longer love coaching, I'm going to stop coaching. And I would encourage anyone, I say the same thing to players, if you don't love what you're doing, don't do this. Like, God grants us all great gifts. I'm sure you have another gift that you, you could explode in if you're passionate about it. I'm passionate about coaching, connecting with people, and being the best out of people, and pushing everyone towards a common vision and mission and goal. That's what I love to do. It's, it's innate inside of me. So when I was with the Globetrotters, it really just taught me, like, love what I do. Love why I started this game and always remember that and never lose sight of why I, I started loving basketball. That's awesome. And I, I know like it's hard for coaches because we, we kind of have to portray this intensity or this hardness sometimes, but it's okay to show our players that we love the game and that we're enjoying it and we're having fun, right? Because they can still be intense with us enjoying it. And I find that that's a struggle for a lot of coaches, isn't it? For sure. But I, I think part of it is also <clears throat> the ability to communicate is probably the most important thing in coaching it's okay to let players know you're frustrated but also uh it's, it's kind of like what we tell our players we want them to play with emotion but don't play emotional mm -hmm. it's the same thing with coaching they, we want to show them we have emotion but we can't be emotional we have to understand that uh, i can let them know that hey i'm frustrated we lost i'm joyous that we won but at the same time what's next how can we get better what's the next thing how can we develop as a team how can i help you develop as an individual uh, as an individual player and person, quite frankly, and how can they also help me develop as a coach and as a person as well? I mean, there's always something to learn from everyone around us. And definitely within our organization, there's always going to be someone that can help you learn something, even if it's a small nuance that can, you know, the smallest angle can take you in a whole different direction. So just being able to 
communicate well, communicate effectively, and also allow people the space to communicate with you as well. That's going to be key. So, and this is awesome because I mean, one of the things that you say is you're the vegan coach and uh, we're not going to, we're not, yeah. And we're not going to go too far down that path, but what it shows me is that, uh, you know, you are willing to think you're willing to research, you're willing to think outside the box somewhat. And I'm wondering if that is just overall who you are as a person a little bit that you're willing to go outside the norms. And I compare that back to coaching where a lot of coaches kind of stick with what they used to do or what they were taught in the past. And you're getting beyond cultural and historical norms in a lot of ways with this. Well, you know, I, it, it kind of goes to how I be, uh, like how I got to this uh, dietary choice. You know, I was vegetarian for most all of my basketball career. And quite frankly, it was all because my body felt better. Right? And, but now I'm vegan and I will remain vegan. Yes, I do believe the health ramifications are super important and we're not, we're not designed to eat animals or animal products. I definitely will wholeheartedly believe that and I can argue that in many different ways. But the one thing that most people don't have an ability to argue with me is uh, my compassion towards the animals now. I just feel like nothing should die for me to live. If I can live my life without causing any death, why would I not choose that? It just seems the most rational answer. So, and I say that because that's my coaching style. I coach with compassion. I believe that I believe every individual is super important. Every individual is a cog in the machine that makes the machine go. And if you don't treat every single piece as it's the most precious piece, there's going to be a breakdown. And that's why I feel, I, and when it comes to my veganism, I feel like that is what translates to most. Obviously, it's a, it's a very disciplined lifestyle, quite frankly. You know, I'm to the point where if I'm not sure if someone can't verify that there's no animal products in it, I'll go hungry. I'm not going to do that because it goes back to my compassion. I'm not going to be a part of the exploitation or killing of another being. And when I go to coaching, it's the same thing. I do not want to exploit or take advantage of another being on my team or in my organization. I treat everyone with the same compassion from the security guard when I walk in the front door at work to the chef, to our trainers, to our sports science staff, to our players, to fellow coaches. You know, I, I pride myself in everyone feeling loved by me. And that's that's part of the way I live as my uh, as my vegan coach lifestyle. And it's how I live as a coach of basketball. Well, thank you for sharing that, first of all. And then part of the reason I go down that path is it helps get to a little bit of philosophy and it shines through and kind of how you speak there about compassion. And then I, I imagine that that shines through with also this question, which is how do you handle people that disagree with you? Because that speaks to not just you being a vegan, but obviously potentially a player disagrees with you or an assistant or a head coach disagrees with you. So can you speak to that a little bit? I'm imagining that this has all helped shape your philosophy. Yeah, I think that it's interesting because people ask this a lot. And I feel like you're asking something without the prerequisite to that question. The prerequisite always to that question is what relationships did you develop before that happened? Uh, if you develop no relationships before that happened, oh, it's going to be some some big shit when you try to fix that problem. But if you've already developed those relationships and there's a disagreement, it is just that it's a disagreement. It's not a not a big, uh, big problem, because now you've already going back to what I said, you've already established love and trust. Once you've established love and trust, it's a conversation and people disagree in conversations. I disagree with my family members, my kids all the time, but it, they accept that because they want they know i still want the best for them and if i believe if a player understands that i love you i'm just saying this because i want the best for you and for our team they're going to accept it much differently and now it becomes a conversation will you disagree with me can you tell me why let's talk about it because maybe you're going to again what i said before maybe you can help me learn something so now when we go forward you know the heck i might maybe we need to change everything because you brought something to my attention that i didn't see it before so it's super important for me to establish the relationships before that happens. And then now the way you're dealing with it is completely different. If you have an established relationship and the problem comes up, now everyone's going to feel personally attacked. And that's the one thing you cannot have in coaching. You can't have someone feeling personally attacked because then what happens if they don't play or you take them out, they're going to take it as a personal attack as well. But if you establish a relationship, then they understand if I'm taking you out or I'm disagreeing with you it's not because i don't care about you it's not because i don't want to see you succeed it's not because i don't love you it's just because this is what we need right now and you can have that easy that much easier conversation 
Hey coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Well, and we're going to help shape that a little bit more for coaches as we dive a little bit deeper into your leadership and accountability philosophy. And I'm going to start with accountability and, uh, you know, this concept of setting specific expectations or instructions and then ensuring that others follow them. And, uh, what I'm curious about, have we focused too much on the bad behavior rather than noticing and praising the good behavior? Because it seems easy for a coach to notice the bad and to have consequences for the bad, as opposed to reward and notice the good. Um, I, I think that, gosh, number one is a great question. And I think that it's, you know, when you say, do we, we is one heck of a generalization, right? And I get what I you're saying, believe me, but, and I feel like you can uh, speak from your perspective, but, but again, this goes back to, in my opinion, like it is about establishing relationships. Mm-hmm. If you establish relationships, you can establish expectations and you establish verbal agreements with the players. So, because if you're on my team and I find you on my team, the first thing I want to do is I want to meet with you and I want to tell you, this is the way I like to play. This is the way I like to defend. This is what I envision you inside of that uh, situation. So I always say what I, what I always try to do or I try to do as a coach is I want to give you autonomy within my parameters. So I want to let you be you, but I want you to understand already what I want from you. So if I can do that already, now, if you disagree, let's have that first conversation. I wanted you to tell me, like, if you see yourself as a point guard and I see you as a shooting guard, we need to have that conversation. You need to tell me right away because we never have that conversation. And I keep making you bring the ball up the court. You're going to wonder what the hell's going on. So if we have that conversation to begin with, then I've already established the role set for you. And, and I go always, always go back to and I defer to my years before coaching. When I retired from basketball, I spent seven years in the business sector. And in that time, what I understood, the biggest part of a successful business is everyone understanding the roles and responsibilities. And that's any business at any level. And if I can establish your roles and responsibilities for you and you understand those. And we revisit those constantly because it's the same thing any business does. You have quarterly meetings, you have uh, semi-annual meetings. This is the same thing we have to do on our side, but it's in a, in a much more abbreviated time period because we have a basketball season. So it's not going to be quarterly. It might be every three weeks. It might be every two weeks, whatever it might be. But we're revisiting your roles and responsibilities. And I'm letting you give me feedback and I'm giving you feedback. And if we're constantly have that dialogue, now the dynamic is much different when it comes to the accountability aspect. Because I'm not establishing your accountability. We are establishing your accountability. And now you're becoming self-accountable because now you met with me and you told me you agree with what we've said. You agree with my vision for you. You agree with my vision for the team. So now I'm not telling you, why didn't you do this? Because I see this. I'm going to say, I don't know what's going on because you told me. Now it's a, uh, I'm just establishing self-accountability. I'm not holding anyone accountable. I'm just trying to hold you to the standard in which you told me you want to be at. And I'm trying to hold you to the standard in, in the same vision that you said you agreed that we want that team to be at. So it's not about, and, and I do agree when you have those, um, I call them quarterly meetings, but they're not quarterly meetings. But when you have those quarterly meetings, now I'm, I'm giving you time for praise to praise you and to help uh, recognize your areas of improvement. Uh, and during those times, you know, I always said, like, I did this when I was a G League coach. I had one legal pad and every, every player had a page. And every time I met with them, we wrote down all the things we talked about. And then the next meeting, first thing I did was flip to that page. Let's pick up where we left off and where have we met these, these areas of improvement that we talked about. You know, I, I remember when I used to run board meetings when I was in the business sector, it was our, our, what our action items. When we left that meeting, we had these action items. Let's pick up on our action items because when you go to board meetings, first thing you do, you, you, you go over the minutes for the last meeting, number one, and, and you vote on those. And then you go over the action items and see, do we hit those action items? Do we need to reestablish those action items? And then I go back over the roles and responsibilities again. Do you agree with the roles you've had? Have you taken on more responsibilities that I didn't foresee? 
And I do this not only with my players, but I do it with my staff as well. I brought my training staff in, my basketball operations staff as well, my even my massage therapist. I met with him constantly and said, hey, what are your, what are your roles and responsibilities compared to what I define them? Are they still that? Have you taken on something else? Or are you not living up to them? And we can talk about that right away. But having that open dialogue creates that accountability and it sets up that position where I can give you the praise or I can definitely talk about the accountability of your areas of improvement. What I like about what you said so much, but what I really like about what you said there is that it's open to a possibility to renegotiate the agreement is what you're providing for them. So you're basically saying to them that it's not always fixed, but right now this is what you need to do sometimes, right? Oh, for sure. And think about it. Even as a coach, I need, I need the renegotiation time as well, because, you know, think about you have a player that you don't expect to be a good shooter and all of a sudden he's shooting 40% from the corners and 32%, 34% from the, from the arch. Heck, I need to reevaluate what I need from you. I'm going to tell you now, hey, I need you to get to those corners more. You're shooting 42% from the corners. I want you to shoot those corner threes more. I need you to fire up more than one a game, more than two a game, because you're shooting it so well. So you're leaving the, the leniency for them, but also for yourself, because you're going to be able to give them data and information that they don't have, or maybe they don't see it from that same perspective. And again, this goes back to what is a business? It's the same exact thing, right? I have data collection from different areas of my business, different arms of the organization that they may not have. And also I collected information from the training staff. You know, how many times do they work out? How many times have they lifted weights? Where are they with all those things? So I can also provide that feedback for them. Like I like you to get to the rim more, but I'm be honest with you. If you're only lifting weights once a week, once every two weeks, you're struggling, you're hurting me and you're hurting yourself because you're not ability. You get to the rim more, you score more, you get fouled more, your points per game go up. There's, and again, it's, the dialogue is not me telling you and wagging my finger at you but the dialogue is me open my arms to you and say hey, i love you enough that i want to see you succeed how can we succeed more and how can you succeed more this is how we can do it this is how you can do it and this is how you're a part of the team's success as well so, so i love this path of the conversation so when we're expanding a player's role we're like we're giving them whatever you want to say terminology wise permission to do more do we have to leave the option to be able to pull them back if they're not meeting those expectations that goes back to the accountability that we just talked about, right? Uh, if they're not meeting those expectations, then they understand that because we've already defined what I want to see from them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not up to that, up to par with what we've asked, what we agreed upon, what we want to see, then they know it already. They, they know it already. I mean, we have to give guys more credit than what we give them. Like they know when they're in a shooting slump. They know when they're shooting bad. They know when they're not defending well. But players know that. I know that from being a player myself. I know when I played a bad game. When I had a great game, I know when I played poorly on defense, I know when I miss calls, I know when I miss plays. So really, it just goes back to understanding that they're intelligent enough to understand those things. And because you've had those previous conversations, you'll be OK. Yeah, I love that. And uh, for, for those players, then, that we put in those situations, what is more important then? Is it player-led accountability, like leading themselves and being accountable to themselves? Or is it coach-led accountability? Um, I think that it has to do with the, the dynamic of your organization and team is probably the most important thing because player accountability, you, you want individual accountability regardless, but you're asking me which is more important. So I, I, if I, it's hard for me to say that because I think also there's different dynamics with teams. There's teams where you have a very solid and strong leader on the team that is a player that's going to be the guy that says, hey, we can't show up late. Everybody lifts weights. Everybody on the court at this time. Hey, we all going to stay and shoot. You know, I've been on a team where at the end of practice during training camp, the player was like, hey, we're all going to get on the line and run more. We need to get in better shape. And everyone on the team got on the line and they ran until that one player said, all right, that's enough. And I think that's super important. But then you have to understand the dynamic of your team. You don't have that dynamic leader that's going to do that. Then as a coach, you have to take on that role and where you're holding people accountable. But in a loving way, I'm always going to go back to that. And you're just basically trying to enhance the community in which you're establishing. You're trying to embrace different cultures of the individuals to create a stronger community. I imagine I know the answer a little bit, but uh, for, for coaches, I mean, especially high school coaches, uh, should there be clear consequences or options for every situation? Ooh, again, I think that goes back to your organization. Um, you know, I, I can tell you, it was interesting, just to give you an example, what I did um, when I was in the G League as a head coach, uh, you know, I was very much in our Rockets, Houston Rockets analytical system. And, you know, we don't like non-paying twos. We want threes. We want rim attempts. And I can tell you that year we led the league 
and the least amount of non-paint twos. We had 1.1 a game, which is super, super low. Well, how did I do that? I told the players, hey, you can shoot them, but if you miss them, I'm taking you out. <laughs> Basically gambling on yourself, right? But I was in the organization and the structure, which I could do that because I'm in the G League and I'm trying to get people to play a certain way. So if you ask me if I'm a high school coach and I want certain people play people to play a certain way, I believe you can do that. Now in a pro system, NBA system, there's always going to be those outliers. Now, Bradley Beal is an outlier. I'm not going to tell Brad, you can't shoot non-paint twos or I'm going to take you out the game if you miss. Just because there, you can look at numbers and see there's certain people that are super efficient non-paint two shooters. Chris Paul, super, super high efficient non-paint, uh, non-paint two shooter. Tobias Harris, super efficient. Joel Embiid, super efficient post player. You know, you look at even in our system, we didn't post up. I told our bigs, we don't post up. We do not post up. Go set another screen, roll hard, try to get the offense a rebound, those type of things. So I think that um, it depends on your team and your team dynamic, how you can justify those things and do those things. And if you have a team that is also, how's your team structured and built? If your team's built for that, then you can do that. If your team's not built for that, you can't do that. So you mentioned data already in, in helping you with these conversations. So I'm wondering, what, how have you used video in terms of accountability? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I will say this. If you're scared to call your best player out on video, you're going to struggle as a team because everyone knows you're scared to do it. So you have to be, be willing to, when you're showing that video after a game and they didn't sprint to the corner and you're telling everyone else to sprint the corner, you better show that they didn't sprint to the corner. If you're telling everyone else they better make that nail kick when the nail help is there, show them that they didn't stop and say, hey, you got to make that pass. Circle it and put the arrow and say, you got to make that pass. So I think that video is super critical because uh, a lot of times uh, in the flow of the game, they may not understand spacing, how important the spacing is. Like, hey, this guy couldn't drive because look where you were. Or also that pass was there. They didn't see it. Or that play was there. Why didn't you shoot that? Look how far the player was back. I mean, uh, video is super, obviously, I mean, look at how the game has evolved now. Everyone has video. Everyone uses, utilizes video. If you're not doing that, then you're going to be, you're going to be left behind because how do you get better if you don't know where you can improve? And this is one of the things I, I it was so, so interesting. I remember when I won the G League championship, sitting in the locker room, the coach's locker room afterwards with Mahmoud Abdul-Fattah, which actually he ended up winning the G sure. League championship as a head coach too. That's my boy. Love you to death, Mahmoud. Um, I, we were sitting in there and it was crazy because we started a conversation of what we could get better at, but the season's over. We just won the championship. We're still talking about, hey, we should Oh yeah, never mind. We don't have to do that. But we're already talking about what video we could pull to show them how we can get better because literally that's what it's about, right? How can you get better daily, day, day to day? Wins or losses, it don't matter. If we won, there's still a play to get better. If we lose, we just find a way to get better and take those incremental wins, incremental wins being opportunities to get better. And then you build a win, winning culture and winning community around those. That's great stuff. And you referred to it already a little bit about a struggling player in one of your examples. So how do we help a struggling player? What are some methods that you've found that help you help a struggling player? I think just breathing confidence into them. And it goes back to what did you want from them? As I said, those initial conversations, I remember I had a player before and he was a shooter. And my comment was with them. I brought him into one of my meetings. I said, hey, what do shooters do? He said, they shoot. I said, all right, shoot the ball. I don't care. You're going to miss. You're going to make. Everyone does. Keep shooting. Don't you dare stop shooting. If you stop shooting, you're hurting me. And I remember during the games, I would scream out to him, what do shooters do? And he said, they shoot. And then he started pulling shots. And he got himself out of the slump just because of that. I think it's about breathing confidence in them and understanding. But also, what is their slump? You have to recognize that, too. Are they slumping because they're shooting shots they shouldn't be shooting? Are they slumping because they're not giving the effort that they should be giving? Those are conversations you need to have as well. Like the person I was referring to, he was just in a slump because he was missing shots. But we brought him in as a shooter, and I knew – I knew from watching him at practice when we do shooting drills, that boy could shoot the hell out of the ball. So I'm going to keep you going to shoot that ball every time you get it, every time you're open. If you pass up a shot, you're hurting me and basically our, our offensive strategy. That's great stuff. And I, I imagine another part, which has shone through on the podcast with so many coaches, is this concept. I call it aftercare, but it's this follow-up after the fact, right? A bad practice or a bad moment or a bad game or something like that. It seems like the really effective coaches spend a lot of time on follow-up the aftercare and i'm wondering if that's a part of your philosophy in terms of how you approach players that are struggling 
Well, I mean, I think that the first and foremost, and I didn't really address this much, but you know, when a player's struggling, you know, I, I go back to what I said. First, you love them. Like you love them as people, not as n- employee number, whatever. They're and doing. how do you demonstrate that coach? So you, you demonstrate that by those individual meetings, talking to them, like just spending time with them, you know, and it, being yourself, like there's nothing better than being your most authentic and vulnerable self. That's the point of connection, a Brene Brown quote. That's how you connect with people is being your most authentic and vulnerable self. And by me saying, Hey, I don't have all the answers. How can I help? that's better than me saying, let me tell you what you should do. And this will get you out of your slump. Cause as soon as I do that, now I can go into the conversation of, Hey, is there something off the court that's going on that maybe I can help with? Do you need some time away? Like whatever it might be, you don't know. Like, and honestly, that's where they could be having family problems. They could be having sibling problems. They could have marital problems, whatever it might be. But once I open the door for them to be vulnerable with me, even in their personal life, what a connection I just created at that point as well. So now from here on out, again, now they know I love them because I care about you. Like, what can I do? And honestly, I'm just going to say it's in me. If you tell me, Chris, if you tell me after we hang, get off of this and you're no, no longer recording, you say, hey, yo, I'm struggling with this. What's my answer going to be? I'm going to say, Chris, I'm going to pray for you. And I mean it when I say it and I do it. So I think that m- me personally, that's just the person I am. I care about people. I love them whether they love me or not. My job is not to make you love me. My job is just to love on you. Well, your love shines through, coach, and that's awesome. And uh, I imagine your approach, too, is disarming for the player. And often meetings are a little bit, you know, unnerving for players. So that's a big part of I'm imagining how you're approaching it with this love. It's, uh, it's, it's actually funny, I think. I, you know, I had one, you know, what everyone considered a difficult player. And uh, because he was always really had this mean mug face and it was all this. And I would always just say, come here, I'm going to hug you. And I'd grab him and hug the hell out of him. And that was just my thing. I, and, and you would just see him change. And I feel like that I had a really good conversation with one of the, another coach with the team asked me how I deal with, if it's a, another staff member who they say good morning all the time, but this guy never says good morning back to me. What would you do? I said, honestly, I jump in front of him, hug the shit out of him and say good morning again and tell you, Hey, you next time you don't say good morning to me, I'm gonna kiss you on the face too. That's the way I am. So if you, you know, that's the way I'm going to be. That's the way I'm with the players too. Like I, I, if you, if you're mad at me and like, I, I had a player this year that came out the game and didn't give me five after the game ended, we're walking around the locker room, dapping everybody up, give them five. I grabbed him and hugged the hell out of him. I said, man, even if you don't touch me, I'm still going to love on you. And his answer was, I didn't know I did that. I'm sorry. I, I won't do it again. I promise coach. You know, and that's like, I'm going to love you regardless. My job is not to make you love me. My job is to love you. That is such an awesome example. I mean, it's demonstrative and uh, I've heard it in terms of phrasing. For example, one phrase that I've used is like, instead of saying to someone, why are you late? Immediately, if they're late, you say, I'm so happy you're here. Why are you late? What a different (laughs) conversation, right? And that's what you're doing with your hugs. You're changing the conversation. (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) I love that. We got to hug more, don't we? Um, Coach, uh, I I I love this too, this, this concept that you shared, which is this idea of effort, execution, and education more than schemes. And I'm not sure if that's phrasing you always use, but I I saw it in a conversation or an interview that you had. And I just love the phrasing of those three E's together, effort, execution, and education. Yeah. I I mean, I think that you have, uh, all of us as coaches, we have our philosophy, our coaching philosophy, right? So number one, everyone around you needs to know your philosophy and, you know, after you do, which is basically educating them. Right. Um, and then after they're educated, now you can start working on, okay, how do we play hard as can be inside of this, the schemes and our philosophies. Right. Um, and then I think that it's just all those things work together. It's just a trickle down effect. Right. So I believe that when you just constantly, in, that it goes back to the communication, it's always back to communication. Everything's back to communication and that's in our interpersonal relationships and our coaching styles and our organizations everything goes back to communication. If you can communicate effectively and then everyone can move more swiftly in the, str- in the right direction because they all know which direction you're going. And this goes back to, again, my business background is this, like you, you, the first thing you need to know is what's your mission and what's your vision? You know, where are you trying to get and how do you get there? How do you work every day to get there? And once everyone knows that, now everyone's working more efficiently. You're working efficiently and now the effort is, can be even pushed into even more you're pressing in even more because you know exactly what direction you're going 
Uh, you referenced business, and I actually wanted to circle back to that. And uh, I know as business people in the business world, meetings are a part of it. And meetings are a part of the coaching world as well. So I'm wondering if there have been any effective strategies that you've learned through the years to make meetings more effective or more efficient. Um, you know, this goes back to my business uh, background as well. I was always very big on having a strong agenda and sticking to that agenda and leaving, leaving space at the end for open conversations. So I, I personally think, you know, for me personally, what worked for me as a coach was I had an agenda going into each meeting. I knew exactly what I wanted to get out of it. If it's a practice plan, well, then I already started structuring that practice plan. I might have some gaps in there, but I already knew more or less what I wanted to do inside of that practice, what I want to get out of it. So now when I'm in there, I'm helping everyone be more efficient with their time. Now, I know we're going to do this drill because we got to get better at this. I know we're going to do this because we need to get better at that. I know I want to get better at this. Does anyone have a drill for that? I know I want to work on this, and I know I don't want to keep them longer than this. So, and then right away, all right, we're going to do this drill. All right, who's running that drill? Who's driving it? As we say in the business world, who's driving the meeting? Who's driving that portion of our meeting? Because that's what practices are. Practices are meetings. That's exactly what they are. They're meetings to improve efficiency. So who's driving that? What coach is running that drill? All right, what do you need to support that portion of your meeting? You're driving it. You need supporters behind it. All right, do you need another coach? How many coaches do you need? Let's talk about that and get it done right away. Let's move on to the next action item. Next action item is the next drill we're working on. Where are we? Who's running it? Who's driving it? What support do you need to get it done? And how are we going to get it done? And here's the time. What's the time frame you need to get it done? Business world. This is the action item. Who's driving it? Who do you need support? And when is the timeline you're going to get it done? That's basically the exact same thing. And I feel like when I go into meetings, that's the way I feel. I, I run everything like a business, whether that's good or bad, but I feel like it is the most efficient way and it's the most structured way that everyone can understand. Hey, coach, I just want to let you know Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www.justplaysolutions.com forward slash bball immersion. Well, I love that phrasing, who's driving this, and obviously the action item idea is the whole point, right? It's got to be actionable to be able to be applied and effective in that way. For sure. So. For sure. Coach, uh, leadership, what does that mean to you? Um, leadership is, in my opinion, it is... Um, you know, I, I base it better around a story. I had a good friend of mine. I did, you know, when I was uh, in my, those business years there, also what I was doing is leadership development, quite frankly. And, and uh, I did a lot of managerial trainings and went into businesses to talk to their managerial teams about leadership. And uh, a good friend of mine that I worked with during that time, and it kind of built and structured the way I lead around this. He asked me, you know, JB, you've lived in all these different countries. Uh, you know, I've, I've played in Russia, Greece. Turkey, Italy, France, they're all different cultures or all different dynamics or all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different religious beliefs. He said, what has been the thing you learned the most? And it was such a, it caught me off guard. It really made me reflect on the situation. And I said, um, what I've learned the most is a human understanding. What I've learned is no matter where you're at, no matter how you grew up, no matter how you grew up, we all crave two things in life. Two things. That's what I've learned from being all over the world. Number one is we want to feel loved. Number two, we want to know that we matter. And if I can always drive those two things, if I can make you feel loved and make you feel like you matter, that is the ultimate job of a leader, to make everyone within your organization feel loved and feel relevant. If you can do those two things, and that's the one thing when you meet with people, what did I do right now to make them feel loved? and make them know that they matter to me and the organization. If you can do those two things, that is the principle, that is the pillar foundation of leadership. Now, the other stuff are all pillars that are gonna hold things up, but that's organizationally based as well. How, how many times you need to meet with someone, how you need to meet with someone, how you need to drive things, how you need to run your practices, how you need to drive everything. There's other pillars of the organization, but the foundation is always gonna be the same when it comes to a leader. And a leader is the one that, hey, I know we've all seen those diagrams where 
a leader is not the one cracking the whip in the back. He's the one in the front pulling the ship forward. And how do you pull the ship forward? You have to know what your vision and your mission is for the organization because you're the one is showing everyone which direction to go. They, if everyone's just down there giving the best effort, pushing their butts off, they're just pushing in the direction that you're guiding. So if you're not, and you're not in front guiding it and you're just back there cracking a whip, you got 10, 12, 20, 30 people, depending on your organization, sometimes hundreds of people pushing in all different directions. Even if they're pushing with all their might, you're not going the same direction. You're not going the right way. And you're kind of doing this maybe, or you're doing this or this, or who knows, someone might be on the wrong side pushing the other way. But to be out in front and leading, pulling everyone forward to allow to allow them to push. I think that's a definitive aspect of a leader is being out front and also constantly defining the vision and mission of the organization and making everyone involved feel loved and relevant. Wouldn't the world be a better place if we just maximized belonging and created psychological safety? Just exactly what you're saying. And I'll be honest, coach, I think over the 225 plus episodes of this podcast, that's where I've developed the most from hearing people like you talk about the importance of that, creating that psychological safety for someone, because we can't possibly expect a player or a person in an organization to be at their best if they don't feel like they belong and they don't feel like they're loved, can we? No, for sure. And I will say this, I have, I have a very strong philosophy and, and this might be getting way too deep, but you know, I'm in the process of trying go to put together a book about this, <laughs> honestly, but I believe that the, 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 the idea of a culture in your organization is outdated. It is outdated. And people say all the time, we have to build a stronger culture. What's our culture? What's our culture? It's outdated. Um, and I'll give you a perfect example of it. You know, um, I remember when I was at, at, when I was at Arizona as a player, you know, and I mean, you can name a, quite a few schools, quite frankly, especially back in those days where, all right, everyone on our team, all our players are clean shaven. None of our players have hair longer than this or whatever. That's a culture dynamic. It is a culture dynamic without a doubt. That is a culture inside of an organization, right? And even if I said to you, describe Italian-American culture, describe a Mexican-American culture, describe African-American culture. If I asked you again the same question in 10 years, you're probably going to give me the same exact answer because it doesn't change. It's stagnant. It never changes. So well, to say that my organization- Stereotype? Well, not, not stereotype, but I'm saying it's a culture. Like it right. is, you know, you can say people are proud of their culture now. It's not a, it's not a stereotype because if I ask- you know, my kids are Italian. If I ask an Italian person, describe your culture, they're going to say some proud and wonderful yeah. things about their culture, correct? But they're fixed. They're stagnant. Is the example you gave, is that about control? Like, that's but, what it but was. No, but my point of this, my point of giving that example, which I didn't finish, is Please. when you do that, it's not, it's not particularly bad. But I think at that point in time, culture was important. It was, it was important to establish a culture, and it, and it worked. But now the difference is we live in a global economy where things are different. Communication is everything. There is, we can, the mass amounts of information we're a bit, that are available to us can no longer be culturally based, but they have to be community based. So my thing is culture is outdated. It's about community now. When I say I want to establish a community, I'm not establishing culture. I'm embracing cultures within my community. That's the job. That's what makes a community thrive. Think about where you live, where I live. Right now, I'm in Tucson, Arizona, and I was heavily involved in the community. Our community here thrives because of the embracing of cultures. Why do people want to move to different cities? Because their culture, they feel culturally embraced. So they want to go there. So if you do that and you establish that community that embraces cultures, people thrive inside that. That's why the cities thrive. That's why this economic development is so great in certain cities, because people want to be there because they feel that their culture is embraced inside of that community of the city. So organizationally, we have to do the exact same thing. How can we embrace different cultures inside of the community? How can we celebrate the different cultures? Now, mind you, as a, as a leader in the organization, I can't say everything about your culture we're going to accept, but I'm going to take the best portions of the culture in which you were raised, the best parts of the culture in which you thrived in your organizations, in your teams, whatever it might be, and we're going to embrace those things together to create a strong community. And if we can really start thinking of things in a community-minded, and my example is this, when I start talking about Arizona and or other strong teams with the facial hairs and that's, well, the problem is when you did that, that's part of people's culture. Like dreadlocks is part of a culture. If I'm telling you, you can no longer, you can't, uh, you can't exhibit your culture because my culture says you can't. Well, how much, how can they thrive? How do they feel themselves? How do they give the best version, authentic and vulnerable version of themselves? I'm not allowing that inside my community. So for me, I believe that it's outdated because of that. So now we're at this point where if I can allow you to be your most 
authentic self, you're going to thrive within my community. So that's what I believe is culture is outdated. If you're not thinking of how you can establish community within your organization, you're not going to thrive. And I could talk about that for way too long. <laughs> well, I want you to talk about it more. And I want to share a quick example. I'm Canadian. So I grew up with a government that adopted an, ideo an ideology of multiculturalism where they embrace that as a government, as in a country. And I do, if I, somebody asked me the difference between living in the U.S. and Canada, I would say it's that community-based feeling that, that I believe the country adopted. So I can totally understand that from a mass perspective and a micro perspective within a team. What I'm curious about then is how do we create this community-based approach? Well, I think, again, it goes back to those individual relationships. It's like, it's, I, you know, it, I always use this analogy. If you're the mayor of a city, what do you do? You reach to your constituents. You find the stakeholders in your community and you find, about, find out about their culture, their individual cultures. And then that's how you interweave the community. Because now, you know, if I'm, in a, if I'm the mayor of, let's say, Tucson, I'm going to go to the Hispanic community and say, hey, what, tell me the strong points of your culture. And I'm going to go to the African-American community. Tell me the strong parts in your culture. Then I say, hey, did you know that they said the same thing as you said? How can we weave that together and make that more dynamic for the community so we can grow? That's multi multiculturalism inside of our community, and we can grow that. Now, let's transfer that to basketball. I meet with this one player, and I meet with this other player and say, hey, did you know that you guys have this in common? Maybe you both, you both love playing chess. Hell, you should play chess with him. And at the same time, I can tell you even like one of the things I do, and I'm, I'm like infatuated with this, every player, I'm, uh, I'm known for yelling game day on game day, which I can talk more about why I do that, but I'm known for screaming game day repeatedly and repeatedly. But I'm also known for this. Every player that's from a different country that they're not, the native tongue is English, I learn how to say game day in their language. Why do I do that? Because I want them to feel embraced inside of my community. I want them to know that I may not be able to speak your whole language, but damn it, the one, the two words that I find super important, I'm going to learn how to say them in your language. And now I, I say it, and believe me, sometimes on our team last year, it took a while to get through it because between our Israeli player, the Brazilian player, the, uh, the Croatian player, we had all players from everywhere. And I'm just trying to get through it. Even in Japanese at this point, we're trying to say it all. So it took me a while to get through it. And it took me a while to learn it. But one thing I, I saw in their eyes is when I took the time to learn that, it meant something to them. That was our point of connection. And really minimal effort for maximal results in that example. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, more questions about this then. How do you then bring it to the whole? You talked about, and which I love that example, by the way, of connecting two people that might not realize they have something in common. So we're talking about, again, on a smaller scale. So how do you bring it together on the big scale of, say, the whole team, the whole organization? Well, I think that goes back to where, what is our vision for the community, right? That goes back to vision and mission. What's our vision for the community? And now let's talk about our mission to get there. How do we get there? What are the little steps we need to take along the way to achieve our vision? And that goes back to that. Now I'm telling you, hey, let me tell you this. You're the way we can take this part of your culture and it'll be perfect inside of this. And this part of your culture and put it perfect inside this. When I say culture, I am talking about individualism, but also at the same time, I'm talking about organizationally because you have players that played for a team that was found very su great success in doing this one specific thing. Now, I can't take every part of it from every team because every player is seeing things that they like and they want to add to the team. But I can take this and say, all right, well, this could work with us and this and this could work with us. Tell us more about this. And I give them a platform to, for, to communicate with the rest of the team. So basically, I've given them a platform to express their culture in front of the community. Tell me what organization, what city doesn't want to do that. If I go to uh, little Italy. And I say, Hey, in little Italy, you're going to come speak in front of all of New York and talk about what you love and why you love it. Who wouldn't jump at that at opportunity? And when I was an American in Italy and people said, Hey, tell me about America. Oh, are you kidding me? You want to know about America? I'm happy to tell you about it. So I think that's one of the best ways to integrate those philosophies inside your community is give people platforms and understand, but you also are the, the holder of the information. So you know about because I've had all these conversations, I know about all those different cultures. So I'm going to say, hey, talk more about it. And we do this naturally. We, we honestly do this intrinsically inside of ourselves. Think when you're with your friends and you know this great story about your friend and you're with a bunch of other friends and you say, hey, tell them about that one time when you did this. Basically, what you just do? You're giving them a platform in the community of your friends to talk about his culture. And that's basically what you want to do in your organization. 
And there's absolutely space for this within a team setting, especially if you're talking about an NBA setting, sure. because you spend sure. lots of time together beyond sure. just on the court, right? For sure. So do you have to set up these specific opportunities or do you want most of them to be able to happen more organically as in the examples that you gave? I think everything has to be set up, uh, uh, number one, by you, and then it becomes organic. It's kind of like, you know, planting a, a flower bed. You got to put the soil down and find out how you're going to grow, where you want it to grow. And then you just give it the sunlight it needs and let it do its thing. So uh, you're going to always have to set things up to begin with, but then it happens organically where they're going to, you know, I, I, how many times I, it happened to me where a player is, hey, coach, can I talk to you real quick? And it's not me saying, hey, let's meet, but they want to talk to me. Because and that's the most beautiful thing ever for me. If you want to come talk to me, I've had players, they've said that and they talk about their role on the team and say, hey, coach, I know we talked about this, but what do you think about this? And heck, let's talk more about it. Or it could be players. Hey, I've had players come up to me and say, hey, coach, I know you said come to you, man. Me and my girl are going through this right now. Or, hey, my family, I'm having this issue. My, my brother just got arrested. My cousin just got shot. Like I'm feeling this way, that way. Like when you open the doors for those type of things, those type of levels of communication, now it's, it's just blowing. All I did was set the base. I basically put out the pot and put some seeds down and planted the soil. Now I'm just watering it daily. And the fruit that creates, that comes from that is just, it's all organic. So more of a curious question and those type of examples, um, whether they happen or not, is that a responsibility for you as an assistant to be able to bring that to the head coach or to bring that to you know, maybe you have psychological support staff, mental health staff, et cetera, or is that something that's a privacy within you and the player? Um, I think it depends on the situation. Quite frankly, I, I do recall uh, one of the things I, when I was a G league coach, I had an, an issue with um, like a, more or less a suicide prevention issue. And I was, I was really shocked that we didn't have something put in place that I could direct people and we need that, quite frankly. I don't. I mean, I'm hoping maybe this is a great platform that we can get something created from this because we now, obviously, mental health has become a big, big aspect of um, sports. I mean, you look at what's happened with the Olympics and different NBA players as well. The mental health and your your strength of your mental well being has been critical to people's success. And I feel like uh, we need to, more of that. But also, there has to be somewhere I can direct people when I'm going through those things, or at least for me to give someone, you know, I, I'm not a, a suicide prevention person. I'm not, I, I, I believe me, you I speak by all everything. the time, but yeah. at the same time, the worst thing could happen is I try to take that on yeah. and they end up committing suicide. Now I feel terrible. I feel failure and, and I'm liable, quite frankly. So I'd rather, <clears throat> I, we needed something in place where I could direct players to that. So I think when it comes to serious mental health issues, we we need some type of hotline. We need some type of education background as coaches as well. I mean, I'm willing to sit through a seminar if I need to, so you can just tell me how to, uh, what do they call it? First, first aid response. Mm -hmm. I may not be able to fix the bone, but at least I can put a good bandaid on it until we can get you to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we need some of those things in sports, quite frankly, as coaches, because we're not just coaches, you know, where we, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be just coaches. We should be mentors. We should be friends. We should be sometimes father figures. And I always call myself, I, you know, most of my players know, I always call them all nephew because I want to be an uncle. I'm not your dad that's going to scold you and go at you all the time and tell you you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But I'm also not your friend that's always going to tell you you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. I'm that uncle that's going to say, hey, what you're doing is stupid and you need to understand that, but it's on you to turn that around. Well, I love that we're discussing this because I do feel that unfairly coaches are sometimes portrayed as they should be able to do it all. And my phrasing I've used with people is that you need to know your outlets. You know, we apply that to basketball. And as a coach, I need to know my outlets. I, that's not my expertise. I need to know people that can be that expertise, whether it's referring to them in that example or obviously within your organization. So I love that you brought this up because, uh, again, I mean, we know media portrayals of coaches sometimes go off, go off the rocker <laughs> and we can't do it all. We can't do it all. I'm not, I'm not that qualified to, uh, you know, tape an ankle, for example. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, I honestly, I think organizations done a better job. I know we have some, we have mm -hmm. two mental health experts on staff with us. So we're doing better, I think, as a sport um, at putting, surrounding our players with people that can reach out and can help them. But I will say that it, there needs to be more of a trickle down for people that don't have the budget to bring someone on staff. I, obviously, I can sit here and talk from an NBA level and say, NBA wise, yeah, we have the means to bring someone on staff for that. But when you get down to even G League level, we didn't have that. And that's G League. That's one step below the NBA. We didn't have that. So when you get to these high school coaches that are watching this, I'm sure you have the same issues. And 
I think that that's when you have you need to reach out to your athletic directors or just whoever has a little bit more say in the organization and find those outlets, as you called it, or these means that, that you can just drive things in the right direction. Because again, you're not going to be able to, you know, if someone breaks a bone, I can't fix that bone, but at least I can, at least if I can put a little uh, something, keep the leg straight in the meantime, until we can get you to someone who can help, that's, that's what we need to do mental health wise as well. Yeah, as in your phrasing, and we find someone who can drive this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's great too. This community-based concept, Coach, is is this something that you've evolved, or have you adopted it, or adapted it from other places? Is there somewhere we can find out more information about it? I, honestly, I'll tell you right now, Chris. I'm in the process of writing a book about this. Like, it's slow coming because uh, obviously the season is busy, but it's really you know I got into coaching in, in a very different way. You know, I, I became for those who don't know my story. You know, I had retired from basketball and um, I was just heavily involved in the community. And I was really just in the business realm, especially in the nonprofit sector. And uh, and then I got into the leadership training and those type of things just from being in the nonprofit sector. I, I sat on at one point I was on six different board of directors, including my own. I started two nonprofits in the community. I started I helped establish another initiative in the community as well. It was, for me, it was just about community. And I understood quickly that. Number one, when you're in the nonprofit sector, the first and foremost thing you better learn is you better have your vision and mission correct because I'm not asking, I'm not giving anything, anyone, anything in return. I'm not financially helping you. Only thing I'm doing is I'm asking for your resources and your resources for a nonprofit or is your money or your time. I need you to help support our mission by donating financially or help support our mission by donating your time to help us establish something greater than ourselves. And through that, I also learned that that the second thing is um, collaborative efforts in the community can move things along so much faster. And I learned what duplication of efforts, how it hurts the community, because now the disbursement of the resources is basically lessening the impact. So uh, I took all those things and I just kind of put it in my philosophy of what I, how I did as a coach when I had the opportunity to coach. So I got into coaching only because I was reached out to by some prominent members of our community and said, Hey, if you run for politics, we're going to support you. So I said, well, shoot, if I'm going to do that, let me get into coaching at the university of Arizona. I need to finish my bachelor's degree. Number one, but also my name recognition is going to go off the roof. Anyone who knows Tucson knows Tucson, Arizona basketball is the business in Tucson. So uh, if I get back involved with that team, when I do get into politics, when I run the race, I think the name recognition alone, which most politics, it works is going to win me the election. Uh, And I was working specifically quite a bit with Caleb Tarzuski at the time. For those who know, don't know Caleb, he's playing in Milan now. I love the guy to death. Like, I love that guy. And um, we have been working on the move over and over and over again. And we're in a preseason game and he made that move. And they run down the court to the other end. As I'm watching him run down the court, the whole bench turns and looks at me and says, JB, that's you. I got goosebumps. And I was like, forget that political stuff. I'm coaching. I love this just having that impact on someone and seeing it change their life and change the way they saw things and breathing that confidence into them. And I was all about coaching at that point. And, um, but I took everything I learned in the community, those seven years of me building community in Tucson, and I put it into coaching. How can I make people feel loved and valued and help them? And I was doing, I remember I was doing nonprofit consulting at the time. I was meeting with any nonprofit I could to try to help them reinforce their, their mission, reinforce their vision and to help them build up their capacity as well. And really, that's, isn't that what we do as coaching? We're reinforcing daily our vision, reinforcing daily our vision, and helping build our capacity in the organization. And that's basically what I did. And I felt like we have to take that over. It has to transfer over because in any community, it only thrives if you, number one, reach out to the stakeholders and you embrace every culture inside the community. And that's when I realized trying to establish a culture inside of an organization is outdated. It's just not going to work like that no more. I'm just overwhelmed, Coach. I mean, there's so many wonderful things here, from from hugs to obviously this uh, this community based approach, and just tremendous. And I can't wait for your book. So make sure you let us know when you got it, and I'll make sure I support that, and we'll get that out to our community as well. But uh, just tremendous. I can't thank you enough for sharing the game with us. No, I'm just excited to be a part of this, man. I think that you know all your podcasts have been so amazing. You've had some wonderful people on it, and just such a immense amount of education and just influence involved in it. 
So I'm just humbled to be a part of it as well, to be one of the people that get to come on here. And I, I feel bad we didn't get to talk X's and O's as much <laughs> as everyone else does, but that just, I'm just setting up for part two, Chris. So don't hold me back, bro. <laughs> you got it. If you hold me back, I'm going to come find you. and I'm going to hug the shit out of your ass. I love that. I, I can't wait for my hug. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for the book. So definitely we'll do a part two and uh, we'll get in those X's and O's because I know you can deep dive on that too. This has been amazing. Thanks, coach. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.